So how you doing? I'm doing all right. My name is Bill Reeser. I'm the pastor of Encounter. I want to welcome everyone out to the greatest place to be on a Friday night. I want to welcome all of our friends that watch online around the country as well, too, as we live stream our services as well, too. We got friends all over from Seattle, Kentucky, uh, Illinois, even New York at times. I got cousins and family watching as well, too. I pray that you're blessed. Uh, welcome to our series. We're continuing in our series uh, this Friday, uh, tonight, and we're talking about anchor number 10, getting dressed for battle. So we've been working through the 12 anchors of hope, which has been an amazing series. Now, to start this lesson, and just so you know, in case you didn't know, this is the lesson on warfare. This is how you win the spiritual battles in your life. This is how you get dressed for battle. I'm going to remind everyone in this room of something that's very, very important to me. This is something, I know it's important to a lot of you. I love our military. I, mean, I absolutely adore our military. I respect and honor every single military person. I'm grateful for those who have served, and I'm grateful for those who are currently serving. I'm grateful for every service person that has ever sacrificed their lives so we can live in the greatest nation in the world, the United States of America. I love our country, and I'll be forever grateful for the thousands who have sacrificed and fought and died so we can enjoy the freedoms no other country comes close to experiencing like we experience here in the United States of America. Our military deserves our respect, our honor, our gratitude, and they deserve our undivided attention and respect of standing up whenever, wherever our national anthem is being played. And, and as I was preparing for this week's lesson, I was praying, Lord, I, I, I've, done this, I've done this lesson before, and the Lord gave me one word. He said, military. And I went to, actually, he, he directed me to go to the military's website, and I went to military.com. And if you, go, if you go visit military.com, you'll see every branch of the United States Army and Navy and Coast Guard and Marine Corps, and they're all on this website. And what was interesting is what I found is they all have a creed. If you're, if you're a part of the Marines, you're a part of the Coast Guard. By the way, if you've, if you've served or you have a family member that, that has served, would you stand up so that we can just honor you and just say thank you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. We just honor you and bless you. But each person who has ever signed up for service, enlisted in service, has taken an oath because each branch of the government has a creed. And on military.com's website comes this definition of a creed, straight from their website. A creed is an oath or saying that provides a value structure to which to live or work by. Listen to this very carefully. Creeds then set the tone of life in each service. If you join one of these branches, you will need to learn its creed. That's what happens if you sign up for any of the military branches. So it would be impossible for me to, to, to talk to you about every single creed of those branches, but I just want to share the Army's creed. If you enlist in the Army or if you're part of the National Guard, here's their creed. It says this. This is the soldier's creed. It says, I'm an American soldier. I'm a warrior and a member of a team. I serve people of the United States and live the Army values. I will always place the mission first. 
I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I will never leave a fallen comrade. I am disciplined, physically and mentally tough, trained and proficient in my warrior tasks and drills. I'll always maintain my arms, my equipment, and myself. I am an expert and I'm a professional. I stand ready to deploy, engage, and destroy the enemies of the United States of America in close combat. I'm a guardian of freedom and the American way of life. I am an American soldier. Man, that's what I'm talking about right there. That's what I'm talking about. That's why we honor them. But as I was reading that and as I was looking at that, I couldn't help but think that someone had to be influenced by Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Someone had to be influenced by the armor of God. And I don't know if you know this, but God gives us creeds to live by. And he expects us to get dressed for battle against evil forces that are out to destroy our lives. When you look at the armor of God in Ephesians 6, we're going to go through the, the entire passage there in a second, but David Jeremiah wrote a warrior's prayer based on the full armor of God. And this is the creed that he came up with based on God's word. Nobody, not his word, but based on God's word. It says this. This is the warrior's prayer. If you want a copy of this, pick it up at the information table on your way home today. It says this, Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the girdle of truth. May I stand firm in the truth of your word, so I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. May it guard my heart from evil, so I will remain pure and holy. Protected under the blood of Jesus Christ, I put on the shoes of peace. May I stand firm in the good news of the gospel, so your peace will shine through me and be a light to all that I encounter. I take the shield of faith. May I be ready for Satan's fiery darts of doubt, denial, and deceit, so I will not be vulnerable to spiritual defeat. I put on the helmet of salvation. May I keep my mind focused on you, so Satan will not have a stronghold on my thoughts. I take the sword of the Spirit, and may the two-edged sword of your word be ready in my hands to expose the tempting words of Satan. By your faith, your warrior has put on the whole armor of God. I am prepared to live this day in spiritual victory. Amen. That's a creed that we're not only to pray, but we're to live out each and every day. And here's where it comes from. Scripture's up on the screens. If you have a Bible, you may want to go to Ephesians. Go to, the, go to your right. Uh, you may just want to look on the screens and follow along. And it says this, finally be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, don't miss this, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, it doesn't say if the day of evil comes, when the day of evil comes. For some of you, the day of evil comes every day. And when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, get off your couch, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. He says this, be self-controlled and alert. Why? Your enemy, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He says resist him. Notice it doesn't say fight him or go looking for a fight. It says resist him. When the fight comes to your door, you resist him. You take authority over him in Jesus' name. You resist him. How do you do that? Standing firm in the faith. How do you stand firm in the faith? You put on the armor of God each and every day. You come to encounter. You do an encounter study. You get in God's word. You pray. You build a support team around you. Resist them standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In other words, you're not the only one going through this stuff. No one is exempt. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. And he'll make you strong. He'll make you firm. And he's going to make you steadfast. Getting back to our military. When someone enlists and signs up for the Army, the Marines, the Coast Guard, or any other great military branch, they know that they're signing up for a fight. They know at some point, they're going to go into battle. They get extensive training on who the enemy is. And they learn warfare strategies to defeat the enemy. That's what they're trained. And when you sign up to be on God's team, you are voluntarily enlisting to be in the biggest war that is real against the greatest enemy that is real. But don't forget, he's a defeated foe. And just like there are some who never, ever make it out of boot camp in the military, there are those who never make it out of spiritual warfare boot camp in God's world, in the battle that we're signed up for. And they never learn how to overcome the, the enemy's tricks, his schemes, his strategies that are designed to take you out. And if we're going to be successful in this war then we better learn who the real enemy is and how he operates and how we can overcome him in Jesus' name. Now here's his mission statement in case you missed it. Steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. Period. Any questions? He hates you with a sick, twisted mind. That'll never change. He'll always hate you, and he hates you more now that you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the bottom line is he wants you dead. Now, reading and studying and praying this passage in Ephesians every day will open up your eyes as well as other passages to the schemes of the devil. And one of his schemes is to make you think that other people are your enemy. That they're who, that's who he wants you to fight against. And the devil will trick you into thinking that the real enemy is your spouse, the person who abused you. The person who left you, the person who hurt you, and so on. But verse 12 tells us that our battles are not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers, 
spiritual forces in wicked places. Did you ever stop to think that you're fighting against the wrong enemy? Did you ever stop and think that the people you really care about, they're not really your enemy? Did you ever stop and think that God is not who you should be mad at? Get mad at the enemy. Get mad at the devil if you have to. He hates you. But here's the question I want to address tonight. Is there really a devil? Is there really a devil? You know what the sad thing is? Most Christians don't believe in the existence and the reality of Satan. But I want to tell you today, he is alive and well on planet Earth, set on destroying the work of Jesus Christ wherever he can. Scripture plainly teaches this, and I'm going to outline it all for you tonight. The Apostle Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities and powers. And some people say, ah, don't give me that devil stuff. Come on now. I don't believe in that stuff. And you know what? Satan loves to hear that. He loves it. He loves it when people refuse to believe in him. Because when that happens, that means he, can, he is totally camouflaged. And, and, he, and he could just come in in a back door. And he's covered by your unbelief, which allows him to come in under the radar, totally undetected. See, if a person doesn't believe in the devil, he'll never seek to understand the traps that he continually falls into. The downward spiral of temptation. How to conquer the negative emotional thoughts that destroy you, that plague you, that you wake up to each and every day. You'll never learn how to overcome guilt or deal with low self-worth, both of which weaken a person and make you more open to the enemy's attacks. The question is not whether he exists, whether we're engaged in spiritual warfare, or whether or not we're tempted. The answers are clear. The devil does exist. We are engaged in warfare, and we're in a war. The question we have to ask is, how can we survive? How can we overcome? How can we win? How can we take authority? How can we have victory? How can we take back ground? And how can we exercise the God-given rightful power that lives inside of us, that greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world? First, we have to understand some things about the nature of our enemy. The first thing, if you're taking notes, the devil's organized. He has an organized team working with him to bring us down. Again, it says we're fighting rulers, powers, authorities of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. They are a loyal team of devoted followers that battle against us on a daily basis. Next, the devil's a murderer, a liar, and a thief. Jesus described them this way in John 8, 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus also said in John 10, 10, the thief, calls him a thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Next, the devil's deceiving, crafty, and corrupted. 2 Corinthians eleven three says this, but I fear, it's the Apostle Paul speaking, lest somehow as the serpent deceived, you may want to underline that, deceived Eve by his craftiness. 
so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Note the three words in this one verse. First one's deceived. See, the devil attempts to deceive us by convincing us that right is wrong and wrong is right. That's, what, that's the world that we live in today. That's the world that we live in today. To be deceived is to believe a lie. And the devil has absolutely no capacity to tell the truth whatsoever. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says this, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You know what that means? He'll come to you as God. You'll think you're hearing from God, which is why you've got to know God's word. And he'll come to you and say, oh, yeah, do that. Leave her. Leave him. Feel this. Go there. It must be from God. He masquerades as an angel of light. Next, he's, he's crafty. The word refers to The word crafty refers to shrewdness and manipulation. Clever tricks, schemes, and strategies. See, the devil doesn't come come at us head on. He finds a back door, a missing link, a point of weakness. And he specializes in those things that keep us in denial. He loves to keep you in denial. Next word is corrupted. This word has been translated in some versions as seduced. The word in the original Greek means to be led astray in a subtle way. It's lead you off course, ready for this, from a pure, pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And the person who is corrupted or seduced by a temptation always follows the passions and desires of his own self rather than the will and the commands of God. He acts in a way that's subtle and seductive to draw us step by step away from God and toward the fulfillment of our own flesh, our own desires, and not God's desires. Next, the devil's 100% pure evil. There's nothing good about him. None of his purposes are good, although he can bring good things into our lives as temptations to trip us up. He can use something positive as a trick to hide his true intention of producing something negative. That's the purpose behind every temptation. A temptation doesn't look bad. Temptation doesn't feel bad. The devil doesn't say, I'm going to tempt you to be an alcoholic. He says, take that drink, it'll take the edge off. He says, why don't I just have one? Why don't I just have one before I go to bed every night? Just so I can relax. The devil doesn't say, I'm going to lead you in an affair and destroy your marriage. No, he whispers in your ear, isn't that a nice-looking person? Wouldn't it be nice if they paid your attention? And all of a sudden, a stranger is coming over and talking to you. And then you hear a whisper in your ear, that person thinks you're important. And before you know it, you're so far gone because you've engaged. See, the devil can set up a series of good things to lead you down a path that he desires for you to walk, a path that is away from God and a path that's always towards self. That's what he does. He does it every single time. I've got to get, I've got papers. There we go. He doesn't care how much good you experience as long as you get so wrapped up in that good feeling 
that good time, that you fail to see that your life is falling over a cliff. He did it to me. This describes the first 36 years of my life. See, good things can blind us to the real intent of the enemy, and we must never lose sight of his intentions and the fact that he's pure evil. He's out for complete destruction, your complete destruction. He has no capacity to give us a blessing at all that has any eternal ramifications whatsoever. And the devil never gives up in his pursuit of us. He never gives up. You will never eliminate the devil's temptations from your life. No matter how mature you become, no matter how devoted you become, he'll still have access to you. He does not give up stalking you, especially now that you're a Christian. He's attacking the lives and the causes of every Christian that has ever lived. And he's not targeting those who belong to him. He's already got them. He doesn't need to work on them. He's working on those who want to defeat him. He's working on you guys who want to live the free life devoted to Jesus Christ, who want to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ died for. And if we're going to fight this war, we better recognize that there's a real war going on. Say, Bill, that's pretty strong language. You know, a war. I just want, you know, I just want to follow Jesus and love everybody and just wake up happy every day and pick some flowers in my garden and, you know, just make the world a better place. Come on, Bill. Peace, not war. Well, Revelation 12, 17 says this. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went to make war against the rest of her offspring. Who's that? Those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's right there. He's at war with anyone who decides to follow God's commandments and say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. The devil has a plan of attack. He has a deliberate, willful plan against your life. He has a, he has a plan and a goal. He wants to destroy your body, your mind, and your spirit, or all three. Listen very carefully. One of my wife's favorite scriptures is Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans not to harm you, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And then God tells you how to get that plan. And you'll call upon me. You'll pray to me. You'll seek me with all your heart. And I'll be found by you. Not only will I be found by you, God says, I will release you from captivity. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. But Satan knows the plans he has for you. Plans to hurt you. Plans to give you a hopeless future filled with suffering and torment. Then you won't call upon God and pray to God. Then you'll never seek God with all your heart. And you'll never be found by God. And you'll stay stuck in captivity. That's his plans for you. His purpose in doing this is to keep God's purposes from you, deny God the glory that he might receive from your life, and again, ultimately destroy you. He seeks to replace God with himself in every area of your life. The devil not only seeks to destroy who you are, what you have, your possessions, your family, your reputation, and if he can't get you, he'll go after your kids. He'll go after your family. He seeks to destroy who you are. 
And he loves to destroy your character. He seeks to destroy your peace, your joy, your happiness, contentment, your enthusiasm for life, your enthusiasm and willingness to take godly risks, your generosity, and all other great emotional states that are all healthy and good. He has attacked every believer who has ever lived. Charles Stanley wrote down this definition of what what he labels as a spiritual attack. He says this, a spiritual or satanic attack would be defined as a deliberate, willful, intentional, and well-designed act intended to bring harm to a person in any way, physical, mental, economic, relational, or spiritual. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I was telling my friend Bill here and some of you earlier, I've done this message many, many times. Several times I've been hospitalized on the day that I was supposed to give this message. Three times my computer fried. I don't know why I had so much peace, but my my wife's car blew up today. But we're safe. But that's okay. It had about 300,000 miles on it. So what? Never lose sight of the fact that God and Satan are not equals. Satan is not omnipotent, all-powerful. He's not omniscient, all-knowing. He's not infinite. God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit are omnipotent, omniscient, and infinite. Too many people that God and Satan, they think they're in like a tug of war. One pulling towards good, the other pulling in the opposite direction towards evil. While they may be opponents, they're not equals. Satan is a created being, a finite creature. God is the infinite creator. There's no comparison in their power, majesty, or glory. Furthermore, While I'm giving you his resume, I'm giving you the resume of a defeated foe. He is a defeated foe. His eternal fate has already been established by Christ in Revelation 20.10. He's going to spend an eternity in a lake of fire. So the next time he comes at you and reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. That's what you need to do in Jesus' name. And his goal, he knows where he's headed. And he's trying to take as many people with him as possible. And Jesus Christ knows where you're headed, and he wants you to take as many people with you as possible. You see, God seals us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And because of that truth, we can stand firm and withstand any attacks and resist any attacks of the enemy. We don't ever have to be afraid. So I don't want you to live a defeatist life just because evil exists. Rather be encouraged. By the, resurre- by the resurrection and power and the victory that Jesus Christ won on the cross for you. He disarmed. He disarmed all the powers that stood opposed to you. Greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. So how do I stand How do I do this? How do I get dressed for battle? Glad you asked. Let's go there. You can't stand and resist the enemy attacks unless you're armed. You just can't. That's why Paul says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. The whole armor. It's your personal. It's your primary duty to put on the armor each and every day. And it will protect you from everything the enemy throws at you. It is an ugly thing for you to walk out on the street without being clothed. 
And that's why you've got to get dressed for battle each and every day. Take a stand today against evil wherever it is found. But first, arm yourself with the whole armor of God, the girdle of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and prayer. That's so important. So if this is a war, what are the weapons do I fight with? Getting back to our military, what a long-range ballistic missile is to a soldier, prayer is to a believer. There's more power in your prayers, in every single person's prayer. Reuben, Myra, Bill, Carolyn, Mary, Heather, Robert, all of you guys. Jenny, all you guys. Even if you're a believer for one day, if today's your first day, you say, okay, God, I'm all in. I accept Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. You have more power in your prayers than all the nuclear weapons on planet Earth. There's more power in your prayers than anything that exists in this world. And all of our fighting is to be done in the atmosphere of praying so that you're constantly in touch with your commander, your chief, your Father God, the master of the universe, our Father in heaven, the greatest commander ever. And you take in your hands an offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. See, Jesus, and if he was tempted, I kind of think we're going to get tempted too. And he used God's Word. He would overcome every temptation with these three words, and you need to know that these are the three most powerful words you can have in your arsenal. It is written. It is written. You need to build up an arsenal of it is written scriptures to use against the enemy. Now, people try and pull me in on this and that conversation, this and that conversation. What do you believe about that? What do you believe? And I say, the only thing I believe in is it is written. If it doesn't have an it is written, then it doesn't matter to me. And you need to know which it is written scriptures were written with you in mind for your specific situations, for your specific battles, because God's got specific, it is written scriptures just for you, just for me. The knowledge of God which resides in his word is the girdle of truth, so study his word. If you have a hard time reading God's word, listen to God's word. Load yourself up with sermons, but always expose yourself to God's word. You see, Satan attacks the sin in your life. God convicts you of the sin in your life. That's important for you to know. But you come protected. You always are protected. And power gets infused into you when you put on the breastplate of righteousness by setting your heart on God and living out his righteousness. That's what, that, that, that's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Walking in the shoes of peace is just trusting God to give you his peace and to share that peace with others, to go when God says to go, to do what God says to do, and to give that peace away. Your faith, your confidence in God's promises become your, your shield of faith in spiritual battles. Your salvation relationship with Christ is your helmet of salvation, and it protects your mind from Satan's evil influences, among other things, which we're going to talk about in a couple minutes. It gives you the power Listen to me very carefully, because here's, this, here's our second key scripture. It gives you the power 
to take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. This is a spiritual discipline. This is a victory lifestyle that in this world today, and even in the church of Jesus Christ, it's not being taught enough. But it's being taught here at Encounter. Here's what 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5 says. The weapons we fight, that we fight with, are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Wow. Strongholds. That's a key word here. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God because this is how strongholds start. And we take captive every thought, not some thoughts, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You can master that. If someone can say, that's who I am, that's how I live my life, you're going to have a victorious life. You're going to be a power force to be reckoned with. See, the best way to keep Satan thoughts out of your mind is to keep Christ's thoughts in your mind and is to fill your mind with Christ's thoughts. And I'm not sure if you know this, but your brain and your mind can be reprogrammed. It doesn't matter how much junk is in there. Trust me, I loaded this, I loaded this, this wasted piece of brain in there for 36 years with everything that you could destroy your brain with. And God has reprogrammed and retrained this mind to make it a powerful tool to overcome Satan's ploys, his tricks, his schemes, and his strategies. See, although Satan can flood our head with his sick, stinking way of thinking, if we allow him to do so, how much more can God fill our minds with his word, his truth, his thoughts? And when he does, we can take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Listen to me very carefully. Strongholds, strongholds are mental habit patterns of thought that are not consistent with God's word. Strongholds are mental habit patterns of thought that are not consistent with God's word. If what you believe does not reflect the truth of God's word, then what you feel will never reflect reality. If what you believe doesn't reflect truth, then what you feel will not reflect reality. Here's a thought for you. You know, you know a word that's never found in, in the Bible? This will probably blow your mind. Addiction. And listen, if there's a word that's never found in the Bible, then most likely that word has been created to set itself up against the knowledge of God. Actually, there's three words that are not found in the Bible. Addiction, sobriety, and higher power. How's that to blow your mind? The word addiction is not found in scriptures because it is a secular word with a secular meaning that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The word the Bible replaces, uses to replace addiction is sin because sin will lead to a stronghold that sets itself up against the knowledge of God that has a stronghold on us. Some strongholds have a stronger hold on you than others. That's why they're called strongholds. Some strongholds start as a toehold. Then, then they grow to a foothold. And then they grow to a stronghold. But it starts out by sin. Maybe not your sin. Maybe someone else's sin. Or maybe you were just in a sinful environment, part of, born into a broken world. Either way, 
sin is the root of a stronghold. Strongholds may be strong, but God has given us weapons to demolish them. See, addictions are put into the category of a disease now. Have you, have you heard this lately? That has no cure. But the only fix is sobriety. You don't get sobriety from a stronghold. You either demolish it and pull it down in Jesus' name, or it demolishes you in Satan's name. Tony Evans said this, A stronghold assumes there is something invisible behind the scenes that is cooperating with something visible on the scenes that is keeping me trapped from the situation I am in. That's wisdom. Addiction means you may never get out of this. And that's why the world views it as a medical condition now. An incurable disease, they say. But when you call it a stronghold and you get the spiritual condition of your mind and heart in the right place, the physical condition has to set you free. It has to come down in Jesus' name. And that's what God does. Arguments and pretensions are part of those flaming arrows that the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, 16. See if any of these sound familiar. Fear. You have good reason to be afraid right now. Doubt. You can't trust God or that God's ever going to work in this situation. You know what to do. Lust. You need to have your needs met. And this is a great way to have your needs met. God wants you to be happy. And God knows your needs. Loneliness. You are alone. You'll always be alone. And therefore, you'll always be miserable. Guilt. You should feel guilty about your sin and live with that shame. It's the least you can do considering all that God has done for you. Unforgiveness. You can never forgive that sin. You can never forgive that person. And even if you could, why would you? Anger. You've been hurt. You have a right to be angry. You made me angry. That's a lie. Nobody can make you angry. You choose to be angry. Discouragement. You'll never have what you want in life or become the person you want to be. So don't even get your hopes up. Pride. I don't really have a problem. I can handle it on my own. I can get well without the help of God. I got my car this week. I heard an old Albert King blues song. It said, I ain't drunk. I'm just drinking. <laughs> so Friends, any thought or impulse that entices a person to fall victim of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the Bible calls a sin and a fiery dart. 1 John 2.16 says this, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has done comes not from the Father, but from the world. So who's going to win this war? Are you? You betcha. That's why you're here. You're guaranteed to win. You're guaranteed victory. Jesus has already won. It's already finished. Live the victory that God has guaranteed through Jesus Christ. God has promised this. 
And if you humble yourself, submit to him, resist him, he will flee. It's a great formula. I don't believe in formulas, but I believe in God's word. You humble yourself before God. You know what the scripture before that says? And if God says something twice in scripture, it probably means that he's adamant about making this point, and it must mean something important. Now, I've done a lot of teachings. I've been trained up in a lot of warfare stuff, and there's a lot of scriptures that I could have talked about, but we just don't have time tonight. I'm going to share some of them as, in closing. I mean, you need to know and pray Psalm 91. You need to know how to pray those 16 verses of protection over your life. You need to know how to pray Isaiah 54, 17 over your life. You need to know how to pray for God's protection. When the enemy comes at, at you like a flood, God raises a standard against the enemy. And Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against yourself prosper. You need to know how to pray Hosea 4, 6 to pray a hedge around you. You need to know how to pray certain scriptures. But there's two scriptures in 1 Peter and in James 4, 6 that says this, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I've got every scripture that I need, and there's, there's, there's hundreds more that, I, that I've memorized, I know in the Bible, you, you, you know, Isaiah 26, 3, he will, live in, he will keep in perfect peace. That person whose mind is steadfast on him. And I got every scripture when Satan comes knocking at my door. I've got every scripture memorized of how to pray for the spiritual attacks in my life, how to apply the blood of Jesus, how to take authority, how to take those flaming, how to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. But you see, it says God opposes the proud. I know what to pray when Satan opposes me. But I don't have a scripture to pray when God opposes me. And if I'm prideful, it says God opposes me. I don't have a scripture for that. I don't have a thought that I can, that I can take captive. All I've got is humility that I've not been exercising in. And I've got to humble myself. I've got to submit. And then I can resist. And then he'll flee. Does that make sense? Let me open up. Well, let me close with this. Let me close with this. Glasses, glasses, glasses. Okay. I won't need them. Okay. Here we go. All right. I'm over, but I got to give this to you. This is important. Come on up, worship team. Come on up. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Let's close with this. Turn to the end of your Bibles. Turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 12. Go all the way to the end. Chapter 12. It says this. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, here it is, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. This is so important. And then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Listen to me very carefully. You need those four things in your life to overcome the enemy. Salvation, everything starts with salvation. 
Everything starts when you open up your heart to Jesus Christ and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and surrender it all. Everything starts with salvation. When you have salvation, you have power. Greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in this world. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. We're talking about the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, don't miss this. The authority of his Christ. So with salvation comes power, but with power comes authority. Authority is God giving you kingdom principles and kingdom authority and kingdom rights to exercise authority over Satan and exercise biblical kingdom authority, jurisdiction over any area of your life to take back ground of what's been stolen. You have authority. You have jurisdiction in any area of your life that is not inhabited by kingdom living and those under that kingdom dome. And here's the last thing. It has come at last. Salvation, power, kingdom, and authority. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before God day and night. Just in a practical way, just so I, I know that I'm not alone on this. Anyone ever hear an accusing voice in your head? Anyone ever hear you're not good enough? You don't deserve it, all this stuff? It's too good to be true? Come on now. All of us have. All of us at some point have had someone approach us and say, you're not good enough. You can't serve here anymore. It was interesting to me. I, I got up this morning. I, I've had so much peace this week. I worked out this morning. It was the first week I had to, to work out. I even played nine holes of golf this morning. And I always do that. I go witness to people on the golf course. Guess who God hooked me up with? An army vet. And God just had me talking to him. And I said, hey, tell me about that creed. He knew that creed. He was sharing with me. Uh, he moved in. He moved here from another state. And our daughter got involved in the ministry. And he got involved in a church. And, and how the ministry his daughter got involved in. Very prominent ministry. And a very prominent mega church that he got involved in. Basically tried to destroy their lives. And he couldn't understand it all. I looked at him and I said, you know, a church hurt is a hard hurt to get over. And Satan uses hurts in the church just as much as anywhere else. Because you expect the church and godly people or people of God to act differently, right? But when they don't, the sting is really hard, isn't it? It's the accuser who accuses us before God day and night. But watch this says this and they defeated him I love that 
And they defeated him by these three things, the blood of the lamb, and by their testimony, the word of their testimony, and the fact that they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. That is putting on the armor. God's battle plan. Now, I would suggest reading the armor every day, but know this, to put on God's armor is to be protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God wants you to pray. I don't know if you've, anyone's ever taught you that you need to pray that blood over you and your loved ones every day. You don't have to negotiate it. You just pray God's blood that gave you the victory on the cross over your life and your loved ones. There isn't a day that has gone by in the last 20 years when me and my wife haven't applied and prayed the blood of Jesus over ourselves and our family members. And we've prayed it over you. And when you're in a real battle, you can pray that blood. So I, I apply the blood of Jesus over myself. Satan, you want to get to me, you got to go through the blood that defeated you on that cross. There's power in the blood. The second thing is the word of your testimony. What comes out of your mouth is either life or death. It's either victory or defeat. What's coming out of your mouth? What's the victory chant and creed that comes out of your mouth each and every day? You don't have to, it's not a question of me memorizing 120 scriptures. You can just say, in Jesus' name, I'm a victor, not a victim. In Jesus' name, get off my property. In Jesus' name, I take authority. In Jesus' name, I'm a trophy of your grace. I have power, dominion, and authority to exercise kingdom jurisdiction over my life and my family's life and the people that I love. They defeated him. The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony and the fact that they did not love their lives so much as they were afraid to die. To know that you're so secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ, to know that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. I don't want to die because I got work to do. My life is worth nothing to me until I finish the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others about the wonderful grace of God. But if that day should come, I'm ready. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done for me. It's that simple. You are saved by grace and grace alone. And when you know you're saved by grace, it changes everything. They defeated him. The blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and the fact that they lived their lives to the full, knowing that they weren't afraid to die, to know to be absent from the body is to be present with God. I don't know about you, but part of the way that God gives many of us victory, dominion, power, and authority over Satan is that when we can worship and praise him and have unspeakable joy in worshiping the King of Kings despite anything and everything that's going on in our lives. And that's how we're gonna spend the rest of our service. Let's worship.